Yeah, and I, I find the expression "walking with God" extremely interesting. I'm, I'm wondering what, what you think about it. Mm -hmm. A walking with God definitely is a very curious thing. So we see that Adam and Eve walked with God in Eden, and that's some sense of they're a very holy person or they're a very good person. That could be walk with God. Or it's someone who understand understands being because if you look at it more from more Tillich kind of perspective, it says, well, God is being itself and and kind of understanding being would be the or experiencing and and really fulfilling it would be your would be the ultimate union with the being and and perhaps that would be some Tillichian kind of approach to to Enoch or or something like that. But I think that there's something along those lines where walking with God is kind of like an a demonstration of your goodness or your or your kind of your relationship with him. Yeah, and, and walk is something very intimate. I, I it, it almost brings to me the picture of like you you sort of strolling with one of your friends and having having a chat about about just random stuff inside your life. And it, it's the same thing here of walking with God. That the God is a very very personal being in in here. Although I think there's a very famous interpretation of how like. In the Old Testament, the God starts off being very personal, and then uh, it slowly becomes more and more impersonal and impersonal until it just becomes this voice in the sky. I think that's a very interesting idea, and perhaps the reason for this kind of impersonality is also a relationship of humans, humans being less close to God, or humans being less, less holy, and to some degree, perhaps. And that might be one of the reasons why we see... Um, why there are more people walking with God in the Old Testament towards, and then after that, there is less connection with God because people have forsaken him to some degree. Mm. And, and I think that this is a very interesting place, and we can perhaps turn over to the first part of the next chapter, which I think is greatly, um, greatly connected to this. And we'll talk, more about, we'll talk more about Noah, Genesis 6 and 7 in a later uh, discussion, but, but I think that this uh, discussion here is greatly related to, at least the first part of Genesis 6, is greatly related to the idea that we've been discussing. It says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And that, that's very interesting, I think, these, these passages. And I'm, and I'm not exactly sure what fully I, we should take of them, but it, there definitely is some profundity to, to these texts. First of all, being that now the age of earth has gone to 120 years instead of the 900 years in the last chapter. And there doesn't seem to be any particular reason for why the age suddenly changes it's there's also a, a kind of as the, the christian eschatology so it sort of uh, comes out here of like there's a there's general decline until perhaps the the new testament and then we we have a certain uh way 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 towards salvation and it also seems quite greek to me in the sense that there's always the idea of the golden age but it also seems to me that Every single age feels like the, the previous age is a golden age. So every single age believes that they, they themselves are in decline. But it's almost on every single one of the person to, 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 to reverse this decline of the age. Because thinking about it, if you 
use use an analogy from physics, uh, entropy is inevitable, right? Like things tend towards disorder and and chaos if you don't if if human beings don't tend towards them. But it is this it is this job of the human being to tend towards being that that enables that stops the decline of each age. That's why I think Heidegger called human beings shepherds of being a very Christian kind of image here, like being a shepherd that guides being, that protects being, but that's not enforced onto being anything. And that's a very interesting idea. And perhaps this idea of the decline is very insightful, perhaps not only as a scientific decline, but also a moral decline in some, in some states. And perhaps the age of humans are a reflection of or an analogy for the decline of the decline of humans' age. For example, for example, death and sin has always been deeply tied together in in Christian theology. In the same way that the more sinful people get, the death the death comes quicker in some degree. And perhaps that's why the death is more prominent um, in between in between the sons of man in the past and then the sons of man. Now it's like the age well, is also decreasing in this sense. Mm-hmm. Or can you even read it as, in a sense that if you live a moral life, it doesn't matter the, the, the time in, in the physical sense of how many years, of how many times the, the earth goes around the sun matters less. And, mm-hmm. and there's another form of time of the kind of existential time of moral fulfillment or striving towards God and striving to walk with God. And in, in, in this striving, uh, you, you live much longer, even though the earth rotates around the sun in, in, in similar revolutions inside your life. But perhaps one can read it like this. I think that's definitely a very interesting idea. And, and it's definitely something that we can build upon. And I think it's so true. It's in the sense that if you're living a fulfilled life, if you're if you're acting in a good way, what naturally comes to be is that you you're more fulfilled with your life, and the the length of time doesn't mean too much. For example, a lot of people these days, more than in the past, are always very caught up about oh I don't want to die, I'm very afraid I'll die tomorrow, or something like that. It's because they don't live fulfilled lives. But if you live a fulfilled life in an existential sense, the time you die is no longer worried a worry to you because you've completed everything, you've lived your life to the fullest. And what happens then is that, well, you live today, you die tomorrow, you, you still live fulfilled and you're, you're happy with yourself. You, you've understood being and you've understood kind of where you are in the world and, you don't, it doesn't, and then everything else loses its meaning to some degree. And I think that's definitely a very beautiful and interesting, uh, interesting what do you call it, interesting uh, insight into it. Yeah, I, I, so here we, we can focus on the key passage in Genesis 6, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, but that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. First, I'm not very sure what's the logical connection between the first part of the sentence and then the second part, that yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. I'm wondering whether, whether you can, you have any idea about it, Josh? My friend, I do not have any idea about this either. So I do think that there's this idea, however, perhaps that. And this is why I like this Tillich idea is that like, well, being with God is similar to to living a longer time. But when you separated yourself from the divine, when you've separated, you've aborted yourself from 
from the divine within you, you're slowly harming yourself. And as a result, it's kind of the idea that your days will be shorter and significantly shorter than in the last chapter. In the last chapter is like 800 years, 900 years. Now it's only 100 years. It's like, well, man has separated themselves from God. As a result, there is this great chasm which leads to the death. And that might be the best way to read it. Mm -hmm. And it also reminds me of how for for Christians, the, this is for, for, for Christians and also for Jews, there's also an increased emphasis on flesh or on, on a body that perhaps you don't see in a lot of other major religions uh, of the world. And it also, it almost makes me think that Nietzsche was actually fundamentally a Christian in his affirmation of the of appearance and of the body in the sense that this, this is already latent in Christianity and, and in, 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 in Judaism. And, and Nietzsche was pushing this to the extreme mm -hmm. of this complete affirmation of the flesh and of the world right now. I think that's a very interesting idea. And, but I think that is where the Christian and the Nietzschean disagree. They're both pointing towards the same phenomena, man moving towards the affirmation of the flesh, the affirmation of the world as it is right now. The only question then is, is that affirmation of the flesh a good thing or not? And that, I think, is a disagreement between Nietzsche and Christianity, is that, well, while Christianity looks at the flesh and doesn't say it is evil, perhaps, it says that the flesh has the potential of evil and it has a corrupting element to it, kind of like you look at you look at something which is greatly beautiful, it's greatly attractive, but it's also greatly devil. It has a great sense of evil to it, as, or at least not evil, but a potential of evil within it. And I think that there's a similar dynamic in Christianity between the two kind of ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just bring in another translation. I think it's the NIV version. It says, mm -hmm. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. And, and it also on the footnote says, mortal can also mean corrupt. So it, when, when we hear say that, uh, let me see. Uh, for that he also is flesh. This flesh can also mean a, a certain corruption and a certain mm -hmm. mortality that is associated with it. Mm -hmm. I, think that flesh, I think this translation perhaps, perhaps had a bit of a reference to the Greek Platonic idea of the, the flesh being evil, the spirit being good. And, and, that, and that definitely that gap of the Platonic influence uh, contra the bit of a more of an Aristotelian view about uh, being is it's perhaps quite interesting how it interpreted or it, it changed the understanding of Christianity through the ages. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it rests uncomfortable with me that the flesh is corrupt or mm -hmm. be, because for me, at, at least in, in Christian theology, when, when everyone's resurrected, the body, the body has to come, come up along with mm -hmm. the soul. So, what do you think about the corruption of the flesh? Do you think the flesh is corrupt? Or? Well, I think, is, as I've said before previously, it's, it's, it's less so the flesh is intrinsically corrupt, but it is the flesh which provides methods of corruption. It's kind of like a tool which can be either used for good or for evil. And that is kind of the corruption of the flesh, less so in the Greek idea, but more so in the idea that uh, the flesh is something which is beautiful. It's something which is good. But, but like in Garden of Eden, where there's good, there also has to be potential for evil. And that's perhaps the best idea of the body, of the flesh. Mm -hmm. Or it, there's a certain burden that's imported on human beings by being embodied inside the flesh. 
Because once you're embodied inside the flesh, you're able to act into the world and able to create effects. And this, this is a great responsibility, more than perhaps a kind of pure thinking being who, who can think all, all they want, but won't be able to affect other people in action. We, we are this soul being who, who can act with, with the flesh. And this brings mortality and a certain potentiality for corruption that comes with it. I think that's definitely a very interesting idea and and perhaps it's a good place where we could end off this discussion because later on in the the second part of Noah we do definitely do see an idea where 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 people actually go horribly wrong to a great degree and that's perhaps something which we can check out in the next discussion we have so if you've enjoyed this discussion make sure to like and subscribe stay safe if you want to uh watch more of our content check it out on Bostoyevsky and us or Thinker's Kitchen where you can find our podcasts Stay safe, see you soon, God bless, and goodbye my friends, thank you for watching, and I'll see you in the next one.